Women aren't born warriors, we become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week I'm interviewing women who through tragedy and triumph are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Welcome to Conversations with Warrior Women. I'm your host, Liz Swadek. The summer is here. And although we have zero camps going on, well, we have, we have virtual camps, but no in-person ones, we're going to put the focus back on you. Whether you're listening in your car or your treadmill or you're hiding in your closet, this is the time for you to get some inspiration and the courage to live the life you know that was meant for you. So if you're feeling down or out of sorts or confused about what to do next or just depressed, don't worry. We have all been there before. We've all been in the trenches, but to pull yourself out, you need inspiration and you need knowledge. Today, we're going to talk to a woman who's been in the trenches and leaping for greatness for a long time. She's an actress, a single mom, and someone who believes in respect. I got that in capital letters, respect. (laughs) But first, to find out more about me and this show, go to thewarriormoms.co, click on the podcast link. And if you like this podcast, leave us a positive review and hit that subscribe button. Thank you for your comments and emails and suggestions. DM me anytime. I know I'm going to get a lot of comments after this interview because you're going to love love her, and I know you already know her. Um, But you can DM me anytime. Warrior Women Pod on Instagram. Okay, on to our sponsor. I have a new favorite bathing suit. Actually, I have four new favorite bathing suits. Two full pieces and two bikinis. That's right, I said bikinis from Swimmanista. You guys remember I interviewed Andrea Bernholtz on my podcast. I mean, what is more girl power than being on a girl's weekend with your girlfriends and realizing we all hate our bathing suits? You know why? Because they're uncomfortable. They hang on our necks. They they rub us the wrong way. We fall out of them. We don't look good. Well, guess what? Swimmanista has changed all of that. Now you can look good. You can be in a flattering suit that looks good no matter your size. It will give you the confidence to celebrate your own body. And she has already figured out how to do this ecologically. She uses luxury recycled fabrics to create her entire collection. Okay, guys, my favorite. I know, I know you don't want to talk about a bikini, but let me just tell you, I've been working out and I feel pretty good. And these bikinis are flattering. They come high enough up. They hold everything in. My favorite top. The bikini top is the happy top. It's part active, part swim. It's sexy. It has a strappy tie-back design with a front V-string detail. And it has a lot of support. It's padded. It also has hidden elastics. All her suits are adjustable in the front, in the back. She has a bunch of different tops and bottoms and gorgeous full pieces. You guys, you got to try swimmy stuff. That's swim, I-N-I-S-T-A. You can go to swimanista.com and put in my code WARRIOR20 with all caps, WARRIOR20, and get 20% off. Swimanista, you guys, you have never had a suit feel this comfortable and look this good. Today, we're talking to Elizabeth Rome. You may know Liz from her role of Kate Lockley on the TV show Angel or Serena Sutherland on the TV show series Law and Order, 
Elizabeth was born in Dusseldorf, West Germany, but moved to New York City before her first birthday. She graduated from Sarah Lawrence, where she studied writing and European history. Elizabeth was recently in the Roger Ailes biopic Bombshell for Lionsgate, portraying Fox News host Martha McCallum, and will be seen in the upcoming Netflix film The Starling, opposite Melissa McCarthy. I love Melissa McCarthy, by the way. I was in acting class with her list, so we can talk about that. (laughs) I'll tell you, she's the greatest actress of all time. Uh, Liz is also starring in the upcoming Lifetime film Mortal Mortal Danger, which is slated to premiere in July and is currently preparing to direct her first feature. Yes. Liz (laughs) is a warrior mom, have amazing daughter, and a warrior woman who recently launched Rome Reveals Respect Talks and an Instagram live show called Lunch with Liz. Welcome to the show, Liz. <laughs> Hi, Liz. What a great introduction. The two Liz's. I mean, seriously, and we've known each other for several decades, the two Liz's. Isn't it just so crazy? I was literally thinking when I asked you to come on the show, I was like, she can't say no to me. I've known her a long time. She has to say yes. I'm I mean, so glad that you It's not interesting to your listeners how we know each other, but boy, have we known each other a long ass time. <laughs> <laughs> And we have seen each other through many incarnations, I must say. Mm, it's many true. incarnations. So let's let's get to it, Liz. I yeah. have been following your career, obviously, <laughs> for a long time. Um, and I've known you a long time, as you said, but you've always made really smart choices. It's funny when I think of you, the first word that comes to mind is smart. You're just a really smart person. You make smart choices in your career, but I want to back up a little bit. Because I just can't even imagine you as a little Liz. I want to know, as little Elizabeth Rome, what did you think you were going to do when you grew up? Well, I really think I, at that time I thought I would be a writer. And I'm becoming more and more of that as the years unfold, especially as we're in the coronavirus. Because I, I have had incarnations throughout the 25 years of my career I did end up getting a book as a child from my mom called Letters to a Young Poet written by Rainer Maria Rilke. And in that book, he says to the young poet who's desperate to know, like, is he a good enough poet to become a famous poet or should he, you know, walk away from the career? And the famous poet says to the unfamous poet says, don't ask me to read your poetry. You have to ask yourself in your heart, can you live without writing? And if you can live without writing, run as fast and far away from writing as possible because it's so hard to have an artistic career. But I think that that philosophy is very applicable to all things in life. If you can truly simplify the way you think and feel about things, you don't have to get so confused and so lost and get into this like sort of personal abyss and a limbo um, in your life. So I think if you can if you can solidify your your goals by saying, can I live without this person, thing, career, goal, um, aspiration? The answer is, is you should run as far away from that as possible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you can, do it. If you can't live without it, don't question it. Do you know what I'm saying? I wasn't able to answer the question that I couldn't, I could live without writing. I couldn't live without writing. I needed to express myself through words. And words have continued to be, stay my great passion with these talks that I'm doing with the respect talks and so forth. I'm a communicator by nature. So, you know, that answer is still true for me to this day. The same thing has been uh, for me about acting. So I think at the time when my mom gave me books like The Prophet and, you know, letters. By the way, amazing. How old were you when your mom was giving you these books? 
like 14. Like she, my oh mother, my, gosh, was, I love my mother was a writer herself and a really incredibly spiritual, intellectual woman, deep, you know, asking the difficult questions, seeking to find more authentic joy in her life and wanting to not hide behind masks. At that time, I wanted to be a writer. I was reading these books that my mom gave me as a, or, you know, a young teen. And that has continued to be a goal of mine as my career has unfolded. Um, as I was pursuing my acting career, I did end up writing a blog for People Magazine, as well as writing two books, one called Baby Steps, which was about my struggle with infertility, and then one which was a self-published novel. You know, so a lot of that sort of leads into what we're going through in the coronavirus and taking advantage of this time to, you know, think about you know, what it is that we have this, you know, longing or fire in our soul to do and just doing it. Like, I'm so impressed with you creating this podcast and just building it brick by brick. And that's what it requires to be successful. I, you know, I, I'm a big believer. I said this the other day to a girlfriend and she was like, okay, that's insane. But I have often, <laughs> I'm not a really big look before you leap person. I am a leap before you look person because I get really excited about something. And then I think, if I don't leap and do it, if I sit there and ask myself, should you really be doing this? Are you good enough to do this? Do you have any right to do this? If I start going into that zone, then I'll just kill whatever creative vibe I have. So a lot of times you know, I'm I, just I, leaping, I, leaping. I couldn't agree more. You know, it's um, as we went through the coronavirus, a lot of people were doing lives and, you know, um, even my agent said, you know, you shouldn't really be doing it every day. You're creating, you know, too much, um, uh, access to you in a sense. And I said, I don't really care. We're in a crisis. You know, I don't care yeah. if 10 people come on to my podcast. I mean, into my live, um, if it gives them peace and it gives them a sense of community and connection during this time, it will have been worth it. So, you know, again, I also, I leap before I prepare and I, you know, David o. Russell said, that to me, I did a couple of movies with him and he said that he loves actors who free fall. And I think I've become a very good free faller in my life. Oh, that's so awesome. I, I feel like I'm scared to free fall, but yet I make myself do it. So tell me, I, I was kind of marveling. I didn't know this about you. I didn't know you had trained and competed as an equestrian for years. So I feel like someone who does that for years and years, the discipline of that, like, I just kind of want to talk to you about that. And like, what did that, what did that teach you? Well, I think riding in, in essence is about um, pretty much that's one of the only sports or the sport that demands the most confidence, but also the, the, you have to have such a gentle nature with a horse. I mean, they're, they're 1,700 pounds. I mean, if they don't want you to ride them, you're going to be in the dust on the floor. So I think um, I learned how to have total discipline. You have to do everything that everything you do, you have to do it every day. You know, you have to exercise every day. You have to, you have to have a sense of discipline and order, I think, in order to rise to the top of anything. And especially with horseback riding, you have to see that horse every day. You have to take care of it. So I think um, knowing how to be responsible to an animal really has been applicable to even being responsible as a parent or responsible to myself. That discipline as a kid has really stayed with me. And also, you know, you're not going to control a 1,700-pound animal. Oh they're, God, yeah. they're allowing you to ride them, and they do it through mutual respect. So you have a language that, you know, is ex expressed through your saddle and your bridle. And 
And that gentleness and that ability to listen and communicate, it's a given, it's a give and take because your sport is shared with an animal. It's not just a, a singular sport. You're not just a tennis player hitting the lobbing the ball with your tennis racket. You know, you're having this living, breathing experience with an animal that really could d- crush you if they wanted to. Oh my God, yes. So I think respect, you know, respect of that animal, respect of their strength, and learning how to gently communicate by listening and but also having you know true confidence because they're fight or flight animals and if they sense that you're afraid. So you have to tackle fear in your lifetime too. I mean, especially as we've gone through the coronavirus, I mean, really tackling mentally. Oh God, yes. And spiritually, you know, our fear and our anxiety of what the uncertainty of the future. I mean, you've got to become like a masterful ninja with your mental health in your life or you oh. can't you can't even you can't even survive failure, professional failure, which I've had plenty of. Yeah, I think the mindset. I mean, I think the people who are navigating this, and when I say navigating it well, it's almost a joke because really, who can navigate this well? I mean, we're doing the best we can, and there's zero judgment on that. But the people that I know that have managed to stay open, stay creative, and not just succumb to depression and fear mm-hmm. um, endlessly. It's been a mindset. It's a it's a strict, very very low news diet, right. and it is a it's a mindset, and it's a daily practice where you are really trying to keep your mind from going crazy. I mean, it really is mindset is everything. Yeah, and I think I think one of the great skills in life, much like simplifying the way you think, so you don't get caught up in the brambles of your mind, and simplifying the way you ask yourself questions. Um, you know also is kind of parallel with maintaining a childlike enthusiasm in your daily life so that you can remain positive. Because one thing we all know is we're going to go through difficulty. We're going to have obstacles. We're going to have success and failures. I mean, life, it doesn't, you don't have to just be an artist to have ups and downs professionally. Everyone has them. I'll never forget Dick Wolf said to me once at one point when I first started working with him, he created Law & Order amongst many other things, we had a failed pilot together. And I said, oh my God, nobody cares about me as an actress, but what about you? Your career could be over. And he said, I'm going to teach you something to take with you for the rest of your life. When you fail at something, your philosophy should be next. (laughs) Next. Next. and, And really, I mean, like, what are the great teachers like Eckhart Tolle say, or, you know, as we look at soul conversations with Oprah, like what's at the key of like, true spiritual wisdom. And it's a lot of it is not being attached to the results of things and really being in, in love with the um, experience and the process of the work, Um, you know, and ultimately, you know, finding joy in the little things, because that's how you maintain a really good attitude. And a good attitude is like you said, it's like a light bulb inside of you that people can't resist. And that, that light comes from a real place. It comes from a source of joy. Yeah. And the child look like enthusiasm is everything. It's, it, it is hard when you're being faced with all the things, the things that are kind of coming down on us to maintain that. But I also look at my kids and I look how even in the midst of this, you know, we're growing a garden and they go out there and they want to look and see if anything's coming up. You know, like there's, there's, you know, you have to remind yourself that life does go on and it, and it is next. There is the next thing and we're going to come out of this and it's all going to be it's going to be different, but maybe it's going to be better. I don't know. But I, I you mentioned Law & Order, which I love because you were Serena on Law & Order. Um, <laughs> tell me about your kind of career trajectory as an actress. I mean, we could that, that's a whole other podcast. But tell me kind of, 
I don't know, what you think the highs and lows of, of your career have been and maybe something that you're most proud of? Well, um, I was very, very lucky, I think, to work so quickly. I was an assistant at a talent agency called Dom Buckwald, where I'm now currently a client. And I think an important- If that's not a full circle moment, I just can't even take it. I know. And I sent some lovely actors out on auditions. And I think we know who we're talking about. But it's funny, actually, once I left being an assistant at Buckwald and began to run into the actors that I had submitted, um, you know, it was such a- such a surreal experience, but you know, my intention was to learn the business from a professional point of view, as opposed to an emotional point of view, which I felt would be, you know, kind of like a emotional armor around me. I knew that the industry was going to be hard. I didn't know how hard. Um, I think that was a really good decision because I, I, I knew it wasn't personal when my agents would sometimes be hot on me and then get cold or when a TV series was a big hit and then suddenly I was unemployed for a couple of years. You know, I saw the inside out of actors' careers by being an assistant. And so I was mentally prepared for the ups and downs of, of a career and the ups and downs of having a team that, you know, I needed to help me sustain my career. But, you know, we're only human. We, we respond to people's success and sometimes we get you know, bored when they're not doing well. And so, you know, you have to, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint, the, the entertainment industry or the arts in general and life in general. So I think that was really smart. Then getting law and order so quickly out of the gate was a huge big deal. I did it for five years, but after that I couldn't get arrested. And I really had to get I had to overcome. Why do you think that was? I'm always, I mean, listen, I, you know, we, she just mentioned it. So I'm going to just say, so Liz used to send me out on auditions. I was an actress for 10 years. Yeah. Never in the world did I make it to law and order for five years. Let me just say. <laughs> um, and, but I am thankful for that time because it was a really big time of, I feel like self exploration. I felt like it was a super indulgent time where I really got to learn about myself. And I really enjoyed being with other artists, like all that time. And I was writing too. So that was like exciting for me. But mm. that blows my mind sometimes. Like when I, I remember like this interview with Dustin Hoffman and he's like, oh, I never know when I'm going to work again. I always think my every job is my last. Dustin Hoffman. I'm like, your last? How, what are you talking about? But like, it, it's funny. Like there's this hot and cold nature to that, you know? And I guess that's maybe of all arts. I mean, maybe you write a bestseller. I've heard Elizabeth Gilbert say you write a bestseller. And then they're like, you t- try to pitch your next book and they're like, nah. And you're like, are you kidding? I just wrote Eat, Pray, Love. You don't like my next idea? Like this, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean, it's insane to me. It's insane. What do you think that is? I think it's human nature. We like the chase and we like the new and we're fickle and we're, you know, all, you know, overgrown children, you know, so <laughs> instead of, you know, instead of creating deeper roots, we sort of want to keep flying and like buzzing around and like, you know, tasting new flowers and this and that. I mean, I just think it's human nature to be restless. I don't really care. And I try not to think about it too much because I know that if I'm in a down cycle of my career, it's going to be painful. But what I learned at that time was to not have expectations. Um, in other words, to really leaving law and order and, and then going on into a chapter, which was really difficult. And then, you know, like the Phoenix rebirthing from that and having an even better chapter professionally, I really learned to be in the moment. You know, we went through a writer's strike around the time I became a mother and I had a lot of financial difficulties at that time, having left law and order and then having that difficult chapter. 
And my acting teacher said to me at the time, she said, Liz, there's never going to be a perfect time to be a parent. You know, there's never going to be, a, your career is never going to be perfect. Sometimes it's humming and doing incredibly well, but you can't attach too much to any of that because especially in the entertainment industry, it does definitely come and go. I mean, I have friends who, you know, just finished starring in shows this year and, you know, they're already emotionally preparing themselves. They don't know when they're going to forget the coronavirus. They still don't, they don't know when they'll go back to work again. And that is a fact. So I think spiritually, I think I really grew through that difficult time because I realized I'm a lifer when it comes to acting. I'm committed for life. It's one of those things when I ask myself in the silence of my heart, can I live without acting? The answer is no. So that means I have to be strong. I have to hunker down. have have grit. Yeah, grit, endurance. Yeah, and and just know that you know um, we all need to diversify. I think at this time when we're going through the coronavirus, we're all learning that we those of us that don't have multiple business or multiple platforms of income are a little terrified. So it's a reminder that you can't have all your eggs in one basket ever. You have to have you know multiple parts of your life, not only creatively but financially. Yeah, I agree with that. And you know what? One thing I learned long ago was artists create art. So to me, the, 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 when you feel dead or in a down cycle or in a downward spiral, and when you're an artist, it's because you think you need permission to create art, which we do not. And sometimes you have to remind yourself and say, no, people, I am going to create that live. I am going to do the respect talks. I'm going to do whatever I want because I'm an artist. And I create. Now, if you want to come alongside me and pay me some money to be in something, that's fantastic. But while you're figuring your little dumb stuff out, I am going to go on and do the things I was meant to do and to create. I feel like that is... Absolutely. During that time, time I started blogging. And because then my blog became... I had millions of readers and I got a book deal and that's how I got the book deal to do baby steps. I mean, I pursued that book deal and I wrote a proposal and so forth. But... I mean, it did just come to me and it came to me through what felt like a darkest hour. This is a darkest hour we're going through with the coronavirus, but you know what came out of it for me is I became a screenwriter. I just wrote a TV series and I just submitted it to my agents last week. So sitting idle um, and and sort of wallowing in self-pity when things get difficult, um, you know, is it's a personal suicide. I mean, yeah. you have to take your difficult moments and embrace them and you know, and embrace your creativity, like you said, and and your God-given right to 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 produce and to be creative and to um, to think out of the box and try new things and reinvent yourself. I mean, all of us are reinventing ourselves every single day if we're proactive, and so we do have to look at it like that. We have to think, okay, well, what what haven't I done? You know, there's no there's no shame in failing. There's only the shame in not trying. I, I could not agree more. Uh, you mentioned infertility, which by the way, here we go. I don't even know if you know this about me, but I also had major bout with infertility with my son. I ended up doing in vitro and then even more drama when he was born. But so you've been through the inf- infertility journey, but you've got this amazing daughter, this amazing yeah. daughter who is now how old? Easton just turned 12. On oh my age. gosh. Okay. So our kids are the same age. This is like, a, my, he's 13, but close enough. So you're a single mom to a daughter. What is what is the most important thing you're trying to kind of impart to her? I mean, I know there's a million things, but what kind of in your top of mind is something you're really trying to have her come away with? 
I think it's a lot of the stuff we've been talking about. I, I don't know if people really get it, but I do think that joy is a superpower. So I think you have to really, you have to create your adventures. You have to find joy in the little things. If you truly can find daily joy, you're nothing, nothing can crush you, you know, but you can't fake it. So you have to really work on yourself to, you know, detach yourself from others' opinions of you, of, you know, your attachment to results you know, feelings of shame or failure, you have to process that in yourself and you have to put it to rest, you know? So I do think self-work, uh, deep communication and a great joy for life. These are things I want her to take with her because no matter what she chooses to do, they will sustain her in her life. And she will, she will enjoy this thing called life, which is full of a lot, a lot of ups and downs. And also, you know, to go back to the Dick Wolf comment, it'll sustain her and give her the ability to say, next because if you really believe that you you have self-worth because you've worked on yourself and you then meet that with like a childlike enthusiasm for for living you won't get caught up in the things that feel like failures or when you let yourself down or when you make mistakes you're going to pick yourself back up you know like Catherine Hepburn be like you know I don't shed a tear I, I wipe off the dirt and I keep on moving you know and I think that's something I want it, I want her to really know inside her own bones, you know, from the way we talk and the way she sees me behave. Yeah. I mean, that's, I love joy as a superpower is my new motto. Um, I love, <laughs> I love the idea of that. I mean, when I think about people, when they create things, right. Or when they start a business and you know, what people are joyful about, it's so vastly different. So you're right. You only really can get in touch with that for yourself. What brings you insane joy does not bring me insane joy. And you really need to kind of tap into that because some of that stuff, like we're, even from your saying from your childhood, like you still have a love of writing. You've had that forever. You're going to have that forever. And if she can tap into things like that for herself, she's going to live an amazing life, right? Because she's going to not only have that thing that makes her heart sing, but she's going to be able to give herself the gift of letting herself do it without somebody coming in and mucking around because she's going to know it to be so true. It's like a little North Star. And I love that. Yeah. And, and also to self-reflect and, you know, that Shakespearean quote to thine own self be true. Like, I don't want mean to be so spiritual and so deep, but I think ultimately our success sustains itself when our, when our, you know, our purpose is pure, you know, like yes. if we deeply feel that our purpose is to, you know, um, put more joy in the world and, and help people with their mental health and, you know, um, alleviate pain and suffering, you know, if that's our purpose, well, there's a million things you could do with that truth, that purpose. That's like the, that's the kernel of your purpose. You could be in storytelling, like movies and TV. You could tell stories through writing. You could create a movement of respect of conversations that are based in truth, which you hope will inspire people to suffer less and feel more personal joy. Or, you know, you could create a podcast, which is about empowering women or whatever it may be. But I think, I think we have to, we have to get to know ourselves really and what deeply motivates us as people because you know um you can be a success as a mother and a stay-at-home mother and that is connected to your purpose and that is enough and you have true joy doing that you know yes 100 percent. you mentioned a little bit you've you know you I've, I've read the people blogs about your battle with infertility but i was thinking you're just such a person that i've i really feel like you embody this embody this kind of idea of radical resilience because i i think resilience is a radical 
concept to, to, to think that you can literally have your face in the dirt and then you can just pick yourself up and dust yourself off like Catherine Eppard and then just keep running the race and say, not today, Satan, and just keep going. Um, <laughs> I feel like... I feel like that's you. What's that great quote that says, you know, the, it, Satan's uh, worst nightmare is, oh, damn, she woke up. <laughs> exactly. She put her feet on the floor. She's up. Yeah. Oh, damn, she no, I love that quote so much. That's so funny you say that. But I think about you as having radical resilience. What do you think the hardest lesson that you've had to learn, like in your career or personal life, that's kind of been something that was a hard, um, a hard time in your life, but something that also propelled you forward? Um, making you more resilient? Well, I, I think that that is a really true description of me. Um, and I think a lot of it comes from a childhood where I felt that uh, both parents really weren't looking out for me. Um, I had a, not only just a feeling, but a knowledge that if I was going to make things happen in my life, I was going to have to make them happen. Um, and then as I went through my 20s and 30s, really knowing that then in my 30s, I lost my mom, who was my best friend, and I, I loved her, and she was a great parent, but she she didn't have the ability to care for me um, emotionally and financially in a way that made me feel safe or made me feel like uh, she was going to like make it all work out for me. She philosophically and spiritually was really deep, but um, when she passed away, it was reaffirmed for me that, you know, you know, there's a French quote that the translation means without me, the flood. So if you know that you're the only one you can count on, if you've proven to yourself again and again, that you're not going to let yourself down and how are you going to not do that? You're going to work harder. You're going to, you know, stay positive. You're going to take care of yourself. So you stay proud of yourself and you just kind of keep like your, your lane clean, you know, yeah. um, your only responsibility is to maintain that this, you know, your instrument, um, you know, your, the odds are going to be for you because, you know, like we said, things will come and go and things will, um, you know, there'll be a lot of ups and downs, but you know, you can count on yourself. I mean, ask yourself, you know, who can you count on more than yourself? And if the answer is, I don't like myself and I'm mean to myself and my inner tapes inside my head, put myself down. Well, then you have a lot of work to do because the person who should be your biggest fan should be yourself and the person pushing for you and believing in you should be yourself. And coming from a childhood where I didn't feel um, that loved and that supported um, and then losing a parent very early, it just confirmed for me that, you know, it's, it's like me, myself and I, and I have to really take it very seriously. I have to take my community, my friends, my child, my career, I have to take it seriously because nobody's going to rescue me. And I think that that has been painful in my life um, but it's also been freedom, a great freedom to know that if I'm going to count on anybody, it's going to be me. And I have great friends and I'm a great friend to my friends. Um, but I also don't put an expectation on my friendships for uh, that, for it to be like, um, let me get something from them. My friendships are very pure. So um, I think, uh, you know, that those life lessons, which were difficult and, and you know, left an indelible print in my heart, um, have been my greatest strengths as well. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, what someone told me when you turned 50, cause I just turned 50, they were like, Happy now, birthday. thank you. They're going to say, you're, you're going to start saying it's either. And I think I started this probably at about 45, to be honest, it's either a hell yes or a hell no. And I think, <laughs> right. And I yeah. think that, that kind of defines what you just said, because when you know that you're the only game in town, you're taking care of yourself 
you don't have, you know, this kind of armor around you that you're really just out there with your own armor and building your own tribe, uh, you know, you are discerning. You are choosy. You're not going to just let anybody come to the table because guess what? You've worked hard, right? You've gotten yourself to this certain point in your life and you've worked really hard on yourself. The last thing you're going to do is let some like crazy people in to influence you or say things that, you know, that you don't need to be said. So I guess what I'm saying is I think it's great that you've had that because you really are, you probably have been for a long time at a hell yes or a hell no place, which I think- And also we all want to know, right? I mean, what are we seeking most in life to be loved, you know, to feel, to feel love. I mean, I think love is makes the world go round. Um, We don't want friendships because we think that person wants something from us. We really want to feel loved by them or a marriage that feels like, well, it's sort of like an arrangement. No, that it's really, we just love one another in a very pure way, you know? So, you know, we do need to take responsibility for ourselves and what we achieve and, and not put expectations on other people that we love to kind of rescue us. So I think having that foundation, knowing nobody was going to rescue me and then meeting uh, in my later life, great relationships, long-term 20 year, 30 year friendships. Um, but knowing that like, I can't put that expectation on them. I have to take care of my side of the street. They're taking care of their side of the street has really actually made my relationships very healthy too. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about, because I know a lot of people are co-parenting right now in co-parenting in quarantine. (laughs) I have a lot of friends whose husbands that they were divorcing are now living back in the house and they are just really finding themselves in a whole new world. (laughs) Right. Um, How do you, you know, co-parent your daughter with your ex? Like, have you, have you found a kind of way that works? Like how, like, what do you, what, what do you, what advice do you have for people who are trying to co-parent Through the quarantine. I don't know. It's the craziest thing. I think getting divorced sucks. I think that, you know, families not working out sucks. I think it's hardest on the children. And I think that sucks. So if you can always meet that, that sort of personal uh, decision with as much grace and patience and love, like I looked at like getting divorced as like my greatest failure, like even though we both wanted to not be together and it was a proactive decision for our personal happiness, you know, it was a failure for Easton. I knew she was going to go through difficulty, um, because it, because of it. And so I've always approached Ron, her dad, like, okay, we created this mess for her. So, you know what we need to, you know, we need to button up and like really like handle this the best, you know, the best we can on behalf of her. And it doesn't always work out. Uh, and we've had some moments that have been really difficult, but mostly we've maintained a friendship, you know, we've maintained a peaceful, um, you know, balance of, of, you know, Easton schedule and not fighting about things. Ron's even come and stayed at our family house, which I, uh, own and, you know, and he's been here with her on when I've traveled and things like that. So he's come over a lot for dinner. You know, he hasn't moved in or stayed here, but we've spent quite a bit of time together during the coronavirus. And we're actually becoming, you know, I think better friends through this time because you realize when there's a crisis, your circle is very small. Like who's your, who's your coronavirus pod? Like mine is tiny, you know? So, and he's, and he's a part of it because my, my favorite human being on the planet is his daughter. Yes. And you know what? And that there was something you saw in him, right? That uh, led to the creation of her. So there's always going to be a love you have for him because he brought this wonderful human being into your life. 
Um, tell me about your respect talks because I've watched, I've watched them and I really, what I love about them is first of all, I'd never seen you as like a host before. Like, and here you are hosting all over the place. You're really an actual, very competent host. I have to say. Thanks. A lot of actresses, it's hard for them to be, you know what I mean? Cause that's a totally different lane. I'm sorry, but it is, you know, yeah. so it's, it's really, you've done, you've navigated that insanely well, but tell me how this came to be this, these respect talks. I think it kind of comes back to like the beginning of the conversation, like figuring out what you can and can't live without. And I've always cared very deeply about people's mental health. I've always cared deeply about my own mental health. And I'm being an actor, I've always been very observant of how people are feeling around me. And I guess reaching 47 and getting close to the middle of my life and you know, I'm really taking notice of who around me in my generation, in my age range, who who's really happy. I know for myself personally that I feel disappointed about how certain things turned out and that I've had to battle thoughts inside my own head of like, is this all there is? I thought it was going to be so much more, you know? So it's very natural to feel these feelings. But the thing is, is as people, we're great pretenders and we push and push and push yes. everything down and we have our secrets. I know because I'm an actor and <laughs> we, we use our secrets as our strength in our characters, you know, what fuels the storytelling are the secrets we hold in our heart, our, you know, pain, our love, our longing, our lust, or whatever it may be. So if all of this is true and people are suffering and they do feel disappointed and perhaps they suffer in silence. And even if they have a lot of people around them, maybe they still feel really lonely. I thought, how can I create an environment where we communicate the way you would communicate with a best friend privately over drinks, nobody there telling the secrets on behalf of each other, right? Because when two friends come together, they always, their cup runneth over when they leave each other. So in my mind, I thought, how can I create conversations that are topical? And, you know, who am I going to invite to be that honest with me? Because you're not really invited to come pretend or self-promote. I'm not really interested in that. So I have a company called RYU, which means Respect Your Universe, and it's a sports apparel company. And I thought, you know, maybe something about respect, creating conversations based in respect, meaning I'm going to respect myself enough to tell you the truth, but I'm going to respect you enough to listen to your truth. And together, we may achieve mutual respect, which means I no longer have my secrets inside myself. They're out in the light, which means ultimately they don't have as much power over me anymore. So we could talk about things like courage or love or reinvention or fear or the future or whatever it may be in a conversation with more than one person, meaning five, six, seven, four, whatever, we're going to bring in different points of view. We're going to have different backgrounds, different history, different careers, different economic positions. Um, but if we can respectfully discuss those topics from um, that those different points of view, we may come away from it feeling more peace because we feel number one, more connected to each other and also more connected to ourselves because we just said the truth out loud in front of people. So I create an environment that's just very safe, I think. And I'm also very protective of the people that I bring, but I invite them with the point of view. I say, you know, come and be honest on behalf of other people. And in the end, I feel that the people who've come and been on the panels, they feel like they're the ones who got the gift. So that was my experiment. Now it's eight months later and I'm really loving these, creating these conversations. I'm trying to figure out how to make them a virtual experience 
But as we went into the coronavirus, I decided to continue doing the one-on-one talks. I, I think ultimately for me, being a host is really about wanting to have conversation and you know, communicating is what actors do in storytelling. So it, it all seems for me to go hand in hand. Yeah. Well, you're also a good listener, which is the other thing that it takes. You know, you have to really, because I, I feel like in my early days when I was like hosting, I would be so worried about what would come next. I was like, oh my God, what did she even say? I don't even know. Now I found myself, I, like, especially with these podcasts, I get so lost in what people are saying and I'm like, I'm so in the flow that I almost forget what I'm doing. So now I think it's, you know, you're an amazing listener and I think, I think that is your gift. Um, okay. Speed round questions, Liz. Cocktail okay. of choice. Cocktail of choice for you. Oh God. I don't do the cocktails. Wine. I'm a wine obsessed. It's like wine deliveries. Wine deliveries come every day. My daughter must be like, my mother's an alcoholic. (laughs) What kind of wine? Give me some detail. What is your favorite bottle of wine or type of wine? Or what do you drink? Mm, I love, I really love all. I mean, I love a great Chardonnay. I love Rosé. I love red wine. I do love the big reds, um, like the prisoner kind of wines. Um, I love a great California Chardonnay. I do like big, bold wines. And also I love blends like Grenache kind of Zinfandel blends. And then, you know, the problem with Rosé is you could have Rosé all day. So that's a real problem. All day. Um, <laughs> all day. And you know what? Some, some, some of these days we need it. Um, what is the mantra or quote you live by? Hmm. Just do the next right thing. Yes. Also have the next next. right thing. I'm I'm on to this next thing too. Do the next right thing. And also next, I'm into this. And also just being in the moment, right? Everything we've talked about is being in the moment. We get so lost in looking to the future. So full of anxiety and fear of failure that we don't just do the work. Like today, here's my list of things to do. I'm not thinking about the future. When we're talking about childlike enthusiasm, a child's not thinking about the future. They're just enjoying their crisp glass of water or, you know, they're being in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So what simple thing do you do for yourself for self-care, a self-care tip for us? I am a big believer in being physically active. So an hour a day of just moving my body, I think is a self-care tip because, you know, you, no matter what your weight is on the scale or how you feel about yourself naked, you're like, I I got out there for an hour. So I'm proud of myself. And what do you kind of like to do for activity or is it all different things? No, I'm a big cyclist. I ride, um, a racing bike and do street riding and I, I love yoga. Those are my two sports. Oh my gosh. I love this. What makes you feel unstoppable? I guess my daughter, because that, like that French quote I said, without me, the flood, you know, I taking care of her is my unstoppable cocktail. Meaning I go to bed knowing I will never let her down. I wake up knowing I will never let her down. Whatever that looks like is a privilege. Oh, that is so beautiful, Liz. Holy moly. Well, that's my favorite answer I think I've ever heard of that for that question. Who do you most who do you most admire? Hmm, who do I most admire? I guess my girlfriends, you know, I look at them individually and I think that they're all goddesses. And if I'm down and I admire them from a distance, they're my inspiration to not give up on myself. My best friend Tasha Smith said to me at one point when I wanted to quit acting, she said, are you crazy? She said, how dare you? You're one of the best actors around. And I just think that's just epitomizes, you know, what having your glamazons is all about. Like 
one minute you're down and they lift you up and then it goes vice versa. So true friendship. I, you know, I'm inspired by true friendship because I think true friendship is almost more spiritual than marriage. Oh, I a hundred percent agree. Um, what, what is exciting you the most right now? Writing. Um, so I think writing screenplays is really exciting me right now. Um, directing when we're out of the coronavirus is exciting me right now. I love actors and I love talent. So to sort of flip the, flip the scene and, you know, not be the one in front of the camera and really I'm excited about directing friends of mine in scenes and writing scenes for them. And so that's really exciting me. Um, to to observe and lift up my fellow actors and um, you know cinema family. I want to make great movies and great TV. Uh, I, that is so perfect. I mean, knowing you from an assistant to an agent to this actress who's <laughs> had such success to keeping your writing alive and now bringing it on to directing and making films of your own. That to me is like a perfect circle. I can't wait. I can't wait to cast, you know, the things I'm going to make with the people I love and admire and then, and watch them succeed. Like it's nothing could be more exciting than that. And thinking from the point of view of how can I communicate with them with my words, um, effectively so that they can, they can do the best that they can do. So again, it's a lot about communicating, well, and I think your podcast is amazing. And I think the idea to have these conversations to give us a language uh, for being warrior women is essential. We have to talk about things. Otherwise we don't, we don't, it's all locked in our hearts. We don't, we don't have inspiration from each other. And, you know, again, we're talking about empowering each other as women. It's essential. It is. It is essential. Thank you so much, Liz. Thank you. <laughs> so amazing that you came on today. I love. I just like seeing your face. First of all, I want the whole world to know that your skin. I was telling her before we started. I have to just out her. She looks like she ate a light bulb. She literally has the most glowing, gorgeous German girl skin I've ever seen in my entire life. And I was like, "What are you doing with this skin? What are you doing?" But you know, we're getting older. You know, it's we're 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 our age. It's uh, like uh, Ian Ziering said to me, who came on to my little live chat. He said, "You know, I've earned every year, and I feel like I'm 47, and um, I've I've earned every year." But thank you. I I do I do. You asked me what I do to indulge, and I do a lot of uh, skincare stuff. So I, I'll share that with you all privately. Yes, um, yes. We're, I think that might be uh, another little line of, uh, of business for you is this skincare because your skin looks amazing. Okay, well, thank you, Liz. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. Okay, Lizzie Lou. Mwah. Bye. Thank you for joining me today. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. This is Conversations with Warrior Woman podcast with me, Liz Swadek. Remember, every woman has a story. You just need to ask her. Bye.